I didn't know at the time, but I was like, why was I talking to my friends in class? Why couldn't I just get to it and do what needed to be done? Because I still don't think I felt comfortable in myself and I still was looking for other people's external reassurance and validation that they want to be my friend. Hello, you're listening to Truthbook with me, Catherine Smith, a mum and clinical psychologist. I am on a mission to get us more connected, sharing real stories about family life. You will let out a sigh of relief knowing it's not just you, be empowered by other people's words and share a giggle at the funnier side of family life. And you are about to listen to Nathan, 32-year-old son of Robin, from the previous episode, Not Accepting My Lot, which if you haven't already played, knit back to it now, because this episode will make a lot more sense. Nathan gives us our first young adult truth book perspective. He looks back on school as a kid who just wanted to talk, what he gained from being uprooted to live in England for two years and being parented. He has a clear message for parents from his lived experience. Accept your child for who they are unconditionally. Nathan, thank you so much for coming on Truthbook. Catherine, an absolute pleasure. What I love about this podcast is the avenues that it takes me down and the people that I meet. I had a chat with your 69-year-old mum the other day. And at the end of our chat, we both thought, we should get Nathan on. (laughs) So here I am sitting in your living room again. And as a radio presenter, you are more than happy to shove a pair of headphones on and have a microphone in front of you. Oh, please. I finally... It makes sense. Yes. And you're sitting with one of your four cats on your lap. Yes, I am. (laughs) So we heard from your mum initially about you would come back from school and say, Mum, why don't the teachers like me? And we also heard, lovely, that you were a kid who loved to take half an hour to get from one side of the classroom to the other. You would bounce and jump and a teacher who sounded like one of the ones who was gunning for you just said, isn't this wonderful? But you also had teachers who weren't so understanding. What was that like for you as a kid? Something that strikes me is that mum and I often have not different recollections Mm. of the same scenario, but of course I was observing different things and going through different experiences at the time. So I more remember, you know, mum's stories of those things occurring than those things occurring myself. For example, you know, coming home and saying that the teachers didn't like me because they're all yelling at me. I don't remember that conversation. I remember her telling me it. What was school like? Yeah, it was close to the truth, but not quite. I loved the people there, but they weren't necessarily always good friends. The people that I liked didn't necessarily... I realise now, like me the way that I like them and things like that. Wondering from perspective of someone who wanted to have fun at school, but there was times when you had to sit down of what would you say to kids now who are maybe struggling with that bit at school? Well, I haven't figured it out for myself, certainly. Every time (laughs) I feel like I'm in a classroom scenario, which happens from time to time, I sit there and squirm. Mm. The feeling of not being able to go where you need to go, do what you need to do, have what is working for you internally right now be presented in the outside. I'm just aware that it's just how it is. It's okay, but when you're in that classroom environment, you know, you're on a ship, there's a captain, there's a crew. The crew's job 
is different to the captain's job. The captain's job, the teacher, is to teach you the thing, and your job is basically to make sure that the ship keeps sailing. And there's just a certain amount of surrendering what's right for you to do that. But that's fine. I think you just build... I always really liked school, but I definitely think I built a low-level resentment because I just... There were times that I never felt quite like I was understood. As a kid who wanted to talk and play and have a lot of fun, primary school was pretty solid. High school became a bit different. I really liked my first couple of years of high school. Uh, For example, the things they were teaching you was really interesting. Like I love being able to do science and go to the art room to do art and really get to start to learn about things in depth and collaborate with people. But the best example I have is that's around about the time where you get introduced to science, for example, in school, and you spend the first year of grade seven burning colored stuff in Bunsen burners and learning experiments and how it all works. Brilliant. Love it. I'm so into this. And then it seemed the rest of your life is more about writing reports about it. And that's when I was like, what do you mean? Like, we would make sherbet in science, but we wouldn't be able to eat the sherbet, and it would be more about proving that you did it and writing the report correctly. So when school stopped shifting from teaching you stuff open-ended, more primary school to enjoy, and became more about boxing you into the adult world, well, this is about results. You need to prove that you've learned this thing for the curriculum. It's, it just it, it got a lot less organic for me. And that's when I found myself up the front of a classroom on a desk on my own because they just couldn't stop me talking to my friends. And I'm like, why would you want to do that? I never quite understood. So I get, I realize it's a program you have to get with, but I'm not sure if I've ever got with it yet. And you, amongst many others, a child who wants to play and chat, sitting them and aside from everyone else, that's really going to increase how you're feeling different and feeling like I'm getting boxed in, that resentment. What do you think would have helped? That's a really interesting question. I suppose, with grown-up eyes looking at it, I've always been seeking validation in various ways and shapes and forms. And I love communicating with people. But a big part of that, I suppose, is related to not necessarily seeking validation, but in a sense of reassurance that I am okay to be here that I am wanted, that kind of thing. And that's drawn me to things like the radio and podcasts. And it, it's, you've seen my studio now. My sanity, in a lot of ways, has come from, or my feeling of contentment and acceptance of myself, has come from having a life where it makes sense to have podcast mics in the lounge room. There's a studio downstairs. So what a teacher could have done potentially, I mean, I didn't know at the time, but I was like, why was I talking to my friends in class? Why couldn't I just get to it and do what needed to be done because I still don't think I felt comfortable in myself and I still was looking for other people's external reassurance and validation that they want to be my friend and all the rest of it. I'm 32 and that hasn't changed a cent. I'm still going through it this week. All that stuff, nothing's changed. But for the teachers to have asked why is this boy chatting away rather than just painting the broad brush of naughty or not yeah. concentrating. I would say as well, I have since met the teacher that I'm thinking of in spe- specifically the one that isolated and had me at the front of the class. I've since met them as an adult and it makes sense. Like, yeah, 
something I've learned is that adults are just kids having kids. I was expecting I'd have to grow up and change. But having met that gentleman in the capacity that he's at as an adult, I see that he was never going to be any different. He's just not the kind of person who's like that. And that's what we have to deal with. A teacher is a teacher, but they're also a person. And look, that guy's very invested in school and young people and his, and his local sporting clubs and mentoring people and everything. But he didn't have a... I can't swear, can I? I can always beep it out. Yeah, cool. He didn't have a clue <laughs> how to deal with me or people like it. And mm-hmm. everything that he encountered to me was an insult to his ability to maintain the class. So in the end, it became a point of contention between us. And as an adult, I can see why. Just shut up. Just just let me do my job. And I see how that would have been difficult. So what has become of Nathan? I have just had a sneak peek at mm-hmm. your amazing recording studio. For anyone listening who's seen an amazing recording studio, mine's a really nice, cosy little writing studio. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a MacBook and electric drum kit and guitars on the walls and things like that. It doesn't have squillions of dollars of outboard processing material and rack gear and stuff like that. It's a place for my friends to come and write music. But, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. So what has become of Nathan, a kid who didn't who talked too much in class? Well, <laughs> so I spent my entire life in call centres, 10 years of call centre work. That's the only job I ever did until I went to the radio, and that's been six years now. So yeah. You've, you've accepted. You said, <laughs> I, I talk, and rather than get that boxed out of you and put into another box you've done things that involve talking and not by choice but it's i only thought about it since you spoke to mum and then mum pointed that out i've learned so much from people's experience and yeah i put on my snapchat story makes me cringe a little bit it was only yesterday but i'm growing up hopefully at a really rapid rate at the moment And I said, yeah, someone's asked me to come and talk instead of say less. And that's still my feeling, you know, that people don't want me to say stuff. Just shut up, like say less. And to be fair, I could say less, a lot less. But I have naturally gravitated towards places that it's about speaking and communicating. But the key point being, I didn't go, yeah, I'm going to set out and have a career of talking. Where I've ended up is the places that have accepted me for my voice. And your teacher will maybe be tuning into the radio and saying, ah, <laughs> there's Nathan Interesting. chatting away. Maybe. Interesting. I, I don't think you'd have the perspective to be like, oh, there's that kid that talked all the time and now he gets paid to talk all the time. I don't know, maybe he might, maybe. but I didn't see he had a lot of empathy. <laughs> And around the age of 15, your mum whisked you off to England for two years. And I'd really like to ask you what it was like initially being told you were going to go and not wanting to leave. So I had... See, I've always grown up in this... Okay, so I'll just do this very quickly. So I'm a fourth generation penguin boy. Penguin Tasmania. (laughs) My dad, my great... My granddad, my great granddad... I've all been here. They've all been in the transport industry. My dad told me, oh, there was three generations of truck drivers were enough. I was going to have to be something different. Because all I wanted to do was drive trucks, damn it. But so I've become something different. I went to my little Penguin Primary School here, and then I went to a Christian school in the next town over, a private school when I was in grade four. 
because I wasn't having the problems of teachers boxing me in like I was. That was all the private school, the what I was spoken about so far. But the teachers were struggling with me at the at the local school because I could talk to my friends and get my work done in the last five minutes. But that just distracted the people that I was with and they didn't get their work done. So, so I then went to this place and I've always just wanted to have friends that feel the way that I do. And I get pretty attached to people when I think they feel the way I do. But I go around almost assuming that everyone feels the way I do until proven otherwise. That's just the way I've been. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good where I was at. I was at school. I was in high school. I was starting to get tastes. I was definitely the, not the class clown or the group punching bag, but kind of close. I made it easy for people to laugh and I laughed with them. And I didn't really see a way out of that. My body image was not good and everyone ragged on me for that. And yeah, I just settled into the group. You know, it's a bunch of teenage lads for the most part. They're not very empathetic in a lot of ways. There was one who's remained one of my best friends throughout my life still. He was in a similar boat that I was. And the only difference between us was that I was getting, I was that role in the group. But I think we both noticed that if it wasn't me, it was had to be someone else and it was going to be him. But apart from that, it was a kind of daily activity. And so I worked with it and became resilient. So mum said, you know, I've got the opportunity to go to England. I've always wanted to go live in England. If we're going to go live in England, it has to be now. In the sense that with your school, you might want to come back, you'll go to college, you might want to go to university. Mum never pushed me to do anything like that. Um... She's always been hugely supportive, but from what she's watched me across my whole life in the education system, she's never going to push me to do more until it was time. And I will do further education. So, you know, point being though, I thought I had it nailed and I thought, oh, you know, I don't want to shift to the other side of the world because basically my friends are here. That was my main big one. I didn't want to go to England because my friends were here. You've heard me explain how the dynamic wasn't fantastic, but that was where I was at. Her mum just said, look, it's going to have to be now and I have to go do this and I'm sorry, but I can't do with this without you. So that means you have to come. But how I felt was totally uprooted and that basically unknowns are potentially catastrophic, which I still work with today in my own head, trying to get out of the fact that just because I don't know what's going to happen doesn't mean it's going to be terrible but it seems that I project that fairly easily and maybe always have. I'm learning a bit about myself. But yeah, I didn't want to go even though it was a dream trip to to so many people. And when I got over there, if I had considered what might have been cool, God, I would have been excited. But I just didn't. I couldn't project that it was going to go well. I just saw my, I've seen TV shows set in England and I just saw myself getting bullied and slammed into every locker there was. And I went, that's going to be worse than what I've got right now. Were you watching Green Chill? <laughs> oh, it sounds like it. No, I must have been... Something else. I've just got this image and, oh, I tell you what, when I got there, the first school that we went and checked out, I'm like, this is the place. Those are the lockers. I'm going to get absolutely destroyed every single day. This is so bad. Turns out I didn't go to that school and that wasn't my experience, but oh, wow. 
it was it was the most forbidding brick building with the smell of fear emanating from it. It looked like a prison. I was like, oh no, it's everything I thought it was going to be. Then I didn't have to go there. Oh, you, right, you didn't go to the foreboding brick school no, you went? we went for a tour thinking oh. I was going to have to go there to check it out and then Saved by the Bell. Oh, Saved by the Bell, good. So what did you gain from that experience of leaving where you thought you were settled and you thought you were happy into another completely different culture and environment? Mm. Excellent question. A lot of things, obviously. One that pops to mind is the phrase, fake it till you make it. I'm not sure where that came from, and I don't believe in faking things. I'd rather not be dishonest and faking it. But at the time, it made sense, because I just had to fake confidence. But it wasn't really faking confidence. Honestly, you just had to change gear in a different place and just roll with it instead of trying to tell yourself, but really you just need to step into something and do it with an open mind until you stop freaking out about it and realize it's all become okay. But if you walk into it with the mindset of wearing on your sleeve just how nervous you are, then of course your behaviors will go with it and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you're not faking it till you make it, really, you're just being confident ahead of time. You're believing in something that's going to happen before it's happened. And that's been a huge thing in my life. I really like the way you put that. You're you're confident before you know you're confident because you can't gain confidence without the experience. Totally. But if you ruin the experience with your projections beforehand of what it might be because of your inexperience then, yeah, you're not going to have that confident experience. So I don't like the term fake, but, yeah, that's kind of what I learned about going to England. Yeah, be yeah. confident before you're confident. And yes. then did you make it? Yeah, did- of course I did. I mean, I got into, I was into music. In a, I've always been into music. But there wasn't a local... And I was getting into music here because of my friends at school in, in, in Tasmania. I started playing you know, picked up my first instrument or two to play in a band because my friends needed a bass player. Then I got to England at 14 and I, I, I reviewed myself. I went, right, so these people are seeing me as new. What am I? And that's a big one to see it as. Yeah, hugely. And that's something I kind of still crave now, really, is to find myself in situations, I guess, where no one knows me and I can see who I am without trying to be the person that I am around people. What you're saying really resonates with me having moved to Australia and not wanting to come initially. And it gives you that, yeah, completely fresh. You find out where your strengths are, you find out where your weaknesses are. And for my kids, they've developed the confidence that they can make new friends because they've had to. So you're saying, looking back, yeah, that that is what A thousand percent. And so, yeah, in summary, you see me now, so... And for people listening on the podcast, like, I'm 32, I've, I'm a grown, I suppose, grown-up teenager in a way, simply because I've never, I ref- well, I went and got a real job. I did that in 20, and I just gave up on all my dreams then, and I'm coming back around to realize I never had to. But the thing is, I was, when I went to England, I was into a lot of the stuff that I'm into now, like music and technology and things like that, but I wasn't aware that was my identity. 
when I got over to England and I reviewed myself and went, wow, well, if I look at myself, what am I into? And it was music and video games and skating and all the stuff I was into. What happened in England, though, is I started to really do something with those interests. I really, I didn't just like music. I started going out to local shows and getting involved in the local scene and meeting people and running my life, intermingling it between all of these personalities in the community of how that all works. And I fell so in love with that lo- that music scene, the acceptance of the community that, yeah, it's 20 years later and that's what I've spent my life doing. So you've found your passion project. Yeah. And now you're able to fulfill that. Yes. So that's really what I got from that is I went over, saw who maybe I might be, and I really just tripled down on the things that I like, everything that was open to me to do. And that's, yes, that's what I've made a career from, really, touch wood. And is Nathan going to be famous? Absolutely. (laughs) And so my idea of, of fame would simply be people that I don't know being interested in what I'm interested in based on how I maybe I present myself. And so that's, I love that so much about other artists and I've just always wanted to kind of pay homage to that and be part of it. I never, I was never sure that I was supposed to be famous, but like you just said, it's really about the lifestyle. So I'm at this interesting place at the moment where for the last couple of years, it's been really tricky because when I was about 16, I saw Metallica and everything changed. And I went, right, this is my life. This skating, this music stuff, you know, there's 40,000 people here watching this. You try telling me this is not legitimate as a teenager. Try telling me this is not a real job. Try telling me that this is not, like everyone here's got beards. Everyone here's got beards and they've got jobs and earn money. Look at all these people running a festival, 40,000 people with real careers and real jobs. I'm like, this is not some fairy tale thing. This is real stuff for all these people I want in. I don't have to be on the stage. This is perfect. But to be honest, I would like to be on the other side of the barrier. I don't need to be the rock star, but I would just love, love to be involved with behind the scenes being, you know, that's what I decided when I was 16. And so... Being famous for me is really, and and successful, is really just being able to be connected to that. And honestly, I do love being able to walk around behind the scenes. I love with the camera out, being able to take a video for my eye view. And nowadays, that means when bands are playing, they're my friends' bands. I'll get up on stage. I'll get up on stage and run around and film them to create an so everyone can see from both sides of the stage how it all is. It's really magic really magic for me and if you could whisper some words to your younger self now sitting with your nose up against the wall in the classroom what would you whisper to your younger self dude if only you knew it's all going to be so so killer because i do this every now and again on a weekly almost basis because i have to look back that's who i feel like i am in a lot of ways and i've always been when I was those ages, I always felt like I was going to have to be something else. So now I feel like a lot of my, and I still feel like the same person inside. So I haven't had to grow out of it. So a lot of what I'm doing is recognizing that I was valid to think back then what I wanted to be because now I am it. And as older me, I can revisit internally younger me and say, hey, you're right to be on that path, you know? 
So if I could whisper, so yeah, to make sense of my sense self now and not want things that I, I can't get, I'm really into just trying to accept where I'm at right now. Because yeah, part of me is going, dude, you're not famous yet. And the other part of me is going, come on, man. Remember you when you were still with your nose against the blackboard? Remember when you were first learning an instrument? Remember when it was all really bad? I remember when you wanted to have a band and no one and everyone left like every single day right now, I'm absolutely doing the stuff that the younger me would have just been, would have just been cried and healed their little broken heart to know I was going to be able to keep doing this. Oh. So if I could whisper any words of wisdom to myself that it's that, you know, and of course you feel weird right now, every author, every creative person no one's begged them to make their art you love it to pieces but no one's begged them to do it and it's a pretty big deal for me to not do anything if people don't want it and that's the risk of just saying right i'm going to be creative and i'm going to do what i'm passionate about and just hope that other people out there do like it but if it doesn't come from your heart if you're trying to do something that other people are asking for it won't it won't have that absolutely passion, not so, yeah so they're lovely words to be able to, to say to yourself yeah. when you're at school. It's yeah. pretty amazing. So yeah, it's just awesome. a matter of it would it would it's finally awesome. be like, dude, it's, it's gonna coming. It's going to be okay. Oh, that's yeah. a bit. So you feel weird right now. I feel weird in school. I didn't quite fit. Feel mm. weird in those places. Didn't quite fit. I know now that what I need to feel not weird is that I am actually expressing my voice. And when that's happening on the radio to thousands of people every day, you don't talk to them back, but I know it's happening. Same as in the call center, same as if I'm making music in a band. I was never the singer, but if, as long as I'm providing the platform with the music, it's about, yeah, expressing my voice. You know, when you say things, when you think things and you go to say them out loud, but you realize they were just for you and they sink in <laughs> and you just have no idea what you were talking about. Well, that that was, was just for me, I think. I'm glad yeah. the microphone's on. It would have been better. if That's finally it. You, I felt weird as a young person because I, I didn't know if anyone's listening mm. yeah. or if it was okay. Now I know they are and that, mm. that's in, incredible. So you, when you were at school and being boxed in, felt weird and tried to join in but now you just yeah I'm, I am who I am I'm yeah I'm weird and that's okay like it, yeah it, and there's no other path that could have led to this yeah it, exactly what's happened and so I'm like well it had to be this way so you were right to feel weird then because you weren't on a radio show and people didn't know the names of your songs and stuff yeah of course you were always going to feel weird until that happened mm. and which sucked then and You've also had a mum who hasn't tried to get you to go down the standard. Why can't you just do do the normal things and and has let you be who you want to be and not tried to change that. So that very well said. Mum's about as pivotal a person as you could possibly imagine for me, which you could possibly, which you obviously can tell, but. Yeah, because I've always been so nervous and anxious about fitting in and I've never needed to be anything else for mum. There's been times for sure where she's, I'm sure, no doubt, why can't you just be? But not really. I'm sure she would have appreciated if I could just get my head around it, but she's, I can tell mum's never, ever, ever wanted me to be anything else. 
that's lovely to hear and lovely for parents listening about how important that is just to that's the most important thing in my entire life all this validation all the rest of it i'm going out that looking for that the world because i don't need it from mum i can tell the mum accepts me utterly for who i am and she knows she knows herself and myself well enough that she wouldn't push me to do things that weren't me there are things she'd push me to do for sure because I needed pushing to do stuff like especially things that because I'd negatively project that things are going to go badly and people and so the amount of stuff she had to you know get me to do that I now love doing has been huge massively but she's never asked me forced me to do or be anything else that I'm obviously not I cannot understate the importance of and this must be really hard but accepting people authentically because my mum is unique in her acceptance of herself and other people unconditionally in the way that she does it. But like if I was to have kids now, like I'm still a messy, nervous question mark in myself. Like how would I not be able to do that to my kids? And surely that's how most people are. I'm like, that's, uh, I just cannot understate the importance from my perspective of mum didn't know what I was going to turn out and neither did I, but that didn't matter what was what worked was just she accepted unconditionally me and that's not always my behavior that's always my choices and if you're trying to raise a child like all you've surely all you have to do is which would be the easiest and hardest thing ever as a projection of yourself onto this young person, that unconditional acceptance and understanding of who they are as a person. And that's the most important thing there is, which must be real hard if your kid's being a wacko and doing some crazy stuff. And so are you. And that's, it must be super difficult. But yeah, it's yeah. that's been the, the one main thing in my life that's always made sense. Mm. I've got my faults for sure, but I don't want to go out starting wars and stuff and I don't want to argue with people and things like that. I'm like, surely... Surely I've got my place in the human race and there's more too. And I think, you know, any 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 child of mine, because I look at my parents and go, well, I mean, if, if, if mum and dad is me, then surely. But I realise what a lot of people are doing is they're having children and then realising they're seeing projections, these other versions of themselves with stuff they haven't figured out for themselves yet and God, how hard that must be. And I'm afraid of that too much so to, to bother going down that path yet. But I'm just so proud of you all. You're exactly what it takes. Well, I'm not sure if we ever all figure it all out either. Uh, I asked towards the end for a confession or an embarrassing moment, but I'm going to mm. turn the table and I'm going to sure. ask you, do you remember pulling a bag of condoms out your mum's handbag? <laughs> that, was, that was her confession. What That's that? hilarious. What yeah, like no, I fully you? remember that. I was like, it was weird. <laughs> it was it was fine. Me and mum are good. But yeah, I f- she asked me to get something. I was looking for something. And yeah, I just reached in. There's just an obvious roll of condoms. And I was obviously like, what, 17 or 18 or something like that. I'm like, roll of, roll of condoms, mum? And she was like, oh, they're for you. And I'm like, and... It was a, basically like, I went to a thing today and they were giving them out. There were free yeah. ones, all the stuff. Everyone knows the story. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, 
That is that is an interesting one. But mum's a super accepting soul and human yes. beings are as they are. Yes. But yeah, no, that was hilarious. And how about you? Have you got a good embarrassing moment or a confession for our truth book today? Well, I'm probably going to have to spin it back onto mum. Because, yeah, and which would only be fair and the rest of things like that. So we're in we're in Europe. This is back to that kind of time. But I would do things like I would walk the regulation a couple of paces behind mum when we're going to the big, massive shopping center because I didn't want to be embarrassed. I'm trying to look cool. Then we went on tour in Europe and we get to Amsterdam. I know Amsterdam's famous for the whole sex, drugs, rock and roll and everything like that. None of that was really on the cards for me then. But I did think that I might go for a walk around the place because we'd been in Europe for a while. It'd been cool. We'd go on holidays and uh, and I'm getting used to the idea that, hey, I'm, I'm old enough that I can, you know, go for a walk around the block in a foreign city. Okay, so I'm walking the regulation three paces or whatever behind mum through Amsterdam. And if anyone's ever been to the red light district in Amsterdam, it's very much a a tourist and visitor friendly affair. So I'm walking along and there's windows lit in red with eyes peeking out from behind the curtains and stuff. And then often there was no curtains at all. And there's just these very much lingerie wearing model looking people in the windows doing like Anyways, so I'm walking along and I just went, oh, wow. Because there must be, I don't know, it's a long, long street. And there must have been like, I don't know, 100 people in this alleyway. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm just so stoked. Mum's just absolutely cottoned on to where I'm at, nose tactfully, that she's not going ever. She just hadn't noticed. So then at that moment, she, of course, notices and turns around and turns to the first lady in red that she saw in the window and turns around and goes, hey, Nathan, look at that. Yeah, so... <laughs> oh, gosh, that would be very It's got its moment, yeah. And yeah. I'm just like, yes, yes, mum, I can, I can see the prostitutes. That's, that's cool, thank you. Yes. Yeah. I'm, glad you, I'm glad you noticed it too. Yeah. And you just wish she just, just melted carried into on. the ground. Yeah, totally. Yeah, just Absolutely. carry on walking. And she doesn't, and she doesn't, yeah. she doesn't even care. No, oh, that's, that's good. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for coming on Truthbook. And I love that you can think about yourself whispering in your ear of your younger self it's gonna be okay dude it's gonna be okay and you're you're gonna carry on being you and right now that's weird but later on it'll be cool yeah it's Um, getting and and that's really nice for us to think about kids who are maybe in the same position now that just still carry on being you and for parents accept who they are and, and when they're older and they come out of the boxed education systems then you can grow and Thank you, Catherine. Thank you very much, Nathan. That's been a pleasure chatting to you. (laughs) Nathan's perspective on life is so accepting of who he is and genuinely empathic towards the teachers and peers who made his school years tough. He tugged on my heartstrings as a mum when he spoke about the importance of unconditional love and accepting our children for who they are. And I cannot think of a better Australian accent to see out the last of my recordings done in Australia. Thank you, Nathan. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or on your social media. Maybe you know a young person who'd find Nathan's story reassuring. Or even better, come on, Truthbook. Your story of how you have navigated family life will inspire and become part of someone else's family survival guide.